what I love about the strengths approach is this reality of knowledge, skill, and experience are meant to shape your talent, not replace it. This is about humans dreaming together. About humans supporting each other on our journeys. It's about the science and the art behind making our dream lives a reality. To the students of life. The young and the curious. The dreamers and the doers. To those who crave to be a strong individual and want to be part of something bigger than themselves. Welcome. 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 Welcome to the Dreamology Podcast. Hello, my fellow dream chasers, entrepreneurs, students of life. How's everybody doing today? I am so pumped that you are back for another episode of the Dreamology Podcast. This is your host, Tim Bishop, and today's guest is extremely, extremely incredible, and we are very grateful to have him teach us his lessons, his life story, and all the things he's learned along the way. But before we get into that, just remember, why are we here? Let's set the intention for this conversation. We are here because we are trying to redefine the modern day American dream, the Gen Z American dream, because what society has told us and what school has told us is not really getting it done. There's so much more out there that we need to learn, so much more out there that can help us on our journeys to build the businesses that we want to build, to be happy people, to have a lot of impact in the world, and to truly live a life that we could call one of our dreams. And so that's why we're here. And so today's guest is Michael Daphne. And Michael is so many things. He's a coach, a speaker, a traveler. He has worked with the Gates Foundation. He has worked with NFL teams. He has worked with Fortune 500 CEOs. And currently, he's even working with USA Olympic teams. Along with this, he has led trips all around the world. He's worked with foreign governments and foreign relations in places like Afghanistan. You know, really just a, a interesting and fascinating story that he has on how he got himself into all this stuff. And the lessons that he shares with us about how to tap into our strengths, how to own our stories, how to ask for help, how to become the people that we want to become so we can serve the world in the way that we want to serve the world are truly life-changing and truly powerful. So without further ado, drum roll please. Da, 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 da. Here is Michael. See y'all on the other side. All right, everybody, we are very, very uh, lucky to have Michael Dauphiny join us today. He is coach, speaker, consultant, traveler, author, adventurer, uh, All that stuff. a lot of things, uh, but he's more than just the labels, you know, we're really excited to hear stories today. And Michael, I'm super excited that you're here. Uh, how you doing, man? Good, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm always interested to see how people introduce me because <laughs> I was known as a coach, but I'm like, but I'm a coach who likes to hike, who does economic development consulting for embassies <laughs> that owns a farm in Nigeria and has a team in Costa Rica. And I'm like, I don't know what the label is for that, but yeah, whatever. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's like when people say, what do you do? You're like, mm, let's, you got 20 minutes or should we, should we just like, say I'm a coach? <laughs> who are you is more about, let's go with a different question. You're not what you do, but who are you? Like what's, what are you doing in the world? So yeah. 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 Well, all right, let's go there then. I, that's yeah. what I wanted to start with. Cause I, I was excited at this because I figured you had some stuff to share and I, I didn't want to label you by just one word because I knew there was so yeah. much going on. So the first thing I actually wanted to start with was kind of letting you guide the whole what's yeah. your story and who is Michael conversation and how did you just kind of come to be here, you know, in the, in the highlighted mm -hmm. version? Because I'm super curious to hear all that. 
Yeah. Um, so it's kind of funny. So I do on my, on my site and Instagram stuff, I talk about, I get to write and speak, which is great. But I remember the power of thinking about your life different for me happened early. I remember being in high school and, mm. and going to, you know, you're involved in student government, those things and going to a conference one weekend. And I, the first time I remember hearing like a speaker who was like, you need to think different and dream big. And, and I remember going home and being like, wow that's what i want to be <laughs> and saying and saying to my older brother when we were four years apart which means we're just old enough apart to like be adversaries right at the same time and i remember same being like, as same as me and my brother four years apart exactly and i remember yeah. being like you know i'm in eighth grade he's a junior senior in high school and he's, i'm like you know i want to be a speaker when i grow up and i remember my brother in true brotherly fashion being like why on earth would anyone want to listen to you <laughs> like why would they want to listen to you yeah. like like, and I remember thinking, and it's funny, it's kind of a mean brother thing, but at the same time, he laughs now. He's my biggest fan. It's this idea that I, for the rest of my life, I remember thinking, huh, why would anybody want to listen to me? Like, have I done anything? Like, what, what qualifies me to actually say? And I remember putting that aside. And um, out of college, um, after I graduated with a degree in public relations, I decided to take a year off and um, I wanted to do good in the world. And I ended up going to work in juvenile drug rehab for convicted juvenile felons outside of San Francisco, California. I'd never worked in rehab. They were all, um, they were all convicted felons in the hall that could come and do rehab time. And I spent a year and a half working in drug rehab. And that was everything you could imagine it could be. Yeah. Imagine being 22 years old and having six kids all your own. They're 13 to 19. They're all guys. You live in the house with them. They're all 40% uh, gang related. And um, it was a great experience and incredibly hard. And my student loans kicked in a year later. And before mm -hmm. I knew it, I did what most people do. I took whatever job could pay the bills well. And I ended up working for Hewlett Packard and started in the basic support centers and did the thing where if you actually showed up and did the job they asked you to do, oddly enough, you got promoted. Hmm. And I started a career in HP. And before I knew it, I got moved up pretty quick. And within, within six years, I was doing inter international intellectual property negotiation for HP Singapore hmm. around, in, around inkjet technology and was really grinding out the life and doing the mm -hmm. things you're supposed to be doing. And it got less and less satisfying paying the bills. Mm -hmm. And I realized in that six year window that I, you know, I moved to San Diego. I was living in Coronado, California on uh, two blocks from the ocean. Yeah. Um, and I had everything you're supposed to want at 29 years old. And I remember though, just getting less and less satisfying. And I remember gaining more and more weight and I'm being more and more of an insomniac and getting more and more angry until mm -hmm. in my, I wrote a book called Extraordinary a, number, a couple of years ago. Mm -hmm. um, it's available on Amazon, Audible, Kindle, all the formats. Mm -hmm. But I in the book, I talk about the fact that one day driving into the HP office, I got stuck at a light and had an extended time sitting there and caught a glimpse of my face in the mirror. I was like, didn't recognize myself. I was so unhealthy. I was miserable. Mm -hmm. And I'm rushed. I broke down crying. I was like, whose face is that? Like, and if that's my face, but this isn't my life, whose life am I living? And it jarred me. It mm. was like, wait a minute. Nobody goes to bed at night better because I woke up this morning. I'm good at what I'm doing. I'm making money for the company, but there's got to be a bigger step in the world. And I remembered that kid who mm. in junior high said, mm. wait a minute. There's a world that could be transformed if they thought different. And I was like, you know what? I don't know what it's going to take, but I'm going to do something different. And I started applying. I was like, you know what? Action's the only thing I know. 
that have made a difference. I started applying to any job, known to man, nonprofits around the world, all kinds of craziness. And nobody would hire me. There were no open doors. I don't know why nothing opened. But at the time, Gallup had, rele- Gallup had released a brand new tool called the Clifton Strengths Finder. Hmm. And no one had ever heard of it. What year was this? <laughs> 2000. And this is 2001. It okay. came out. And so this is around 2004. So Gallup, it's just barely starting to trickle. Hmm. And I had started using StrengthsFinder with some volunteer groups. I was, I was on a board of a nonprofit. And I ran into these guys out of Minneapolis, Minnesota, hmm. who were trying to do StrengthsFinder for nonprofits. And I said, well, you know, you could do a whole lot of other things in schools and apply the tool different. And they're like, well, too bad you don't live in Minneapolis. And before I knew it, I had quit my <laughs> job, left HP, packed up to move to Minneapolis to live on my savings, to spend a year and a half traveling the country in Western Europe, just doing endless amounts of StrengthsFinder workshops for nonprofits. Mm. And I did it. And then I remember when my savings was gone and my student, I still had student loans, <laughs> and I'd spent all my money. And I was living in Minneapolis. I didn't know anybody when I moved here. I was like, okay, I guess I go back to work now. I've got to go and do this corporate thing. And I applied for companies in Eden Prairie and tech companies trying to find jobs. And I got a phone call from a guy in Detroit who said, hey, I run an inner city nonprofit. We're building um, sports fields for kids in the, in, as, as people have fled the cities. All mm. these sports fields have fallen apart. We're going to rebuild it. We have 2,000 kids in uniformed leagues. We heard you speak do you do coaching? And I was like, do you do consulting? And I'm like, what's that? What's consulting? I had no right. clue. And I was like, sure. And they were my first client. And that was 15 years ago. Wow. And for me, that one, I'm just coming in and talking about StrengthsFinder. And then it was, well, could you help us figure out how to create high potential performers? And then it was, could you meet the CEO of United Way? Well, could you meet the CEO of Ferrari, Fiat, Chrysler for us? which led to the Detroit Lions, which led to the NFL, which led to, which led to. And one of the things I would say to people is that mm. a couple beats, but a resounding beat for me over and over again is there's world changing power in following the relationship. Is that this idea of when you don't know what to do, at the very least, look at your relationships because the answer's there somewhere. Serve mm. somebody, move towards them, talk to them, reach out to them, engage them you will find an answer somehow mm. because I can now after 15 years and literally a business that spans the globe, I can trace all of it literally back to about five relationships that have all been connections one by one by one. And I think mm. that's how the business started. And eventually strengths finder, it's not enough to know what your strengths finder themes are, but I got known for being the strengths finder guy, right? The ability to then go, do you understand what your genius is? And then how does your genius impact the way you train, compete, win, and recover? And so I would then translate that into corporate settings, nonprofit settings. And eventually that led to government settings and fragile environments um, in Afghanistan, Nigeria, Honduras, parts of Costa Rica. So there's a big leap in there. Yeah. Yeah. Man, that's awesome. I, I have so many comments. One of the, one of the things is I feel like, so this just happened to me reflecting on experiences a couple months ago where I was trying to figure out, you know, some steps I wanted to take. And, you know, I had this sort of epiphany, you know, at a young age, I'm like, I want to change the world, right? I want to do all these big things. And I want to, you know, just everyone's like, I want to, the buzz thing I feel like now is like, I want to impact 1 million lives. Like everyone kind of has that thing, right? But when I started to break it down and it actually was Brendan Bouchard's high performance habits, when he said, 
most people start with one or two people. They look at their, 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 you know, their partner or their son or their yeah. best friend and say, how could I serve them? And so what I did is I actually went to all my friends and family and I said, what am I good at? Like, what am I good at? Like, what, why do you want to be around me? What is, yeah. and I started to pick up on my best relationship and I said, okay, these are my skills and these are how I can start serving them. And so I think I loved that comment of like, look at your relationships because yeah. follow the relationship so much there and there's so much you can either learn for them or ask them or be connected with them. So that's, yeah. that's number one. Uh, number two, dude, just awesome story. So thank you for for sharing all of that and uh, just the evolution. And I want to dive into some of the bigger stuff in a second, mm -hmm. but first I actually want to go back because it seems like everyone takes their own journey, right? Everyone kind of has yeah. their own version of an awakening or a moment or for you it was at the stoplight. Like there's a lot of people I know. I mean, I'm a year out of school who are just getting into that corporate world. They're just starting yeah. kind of that journey and they're in that spot where they don't really know what they want to do. And, you know, they're, they're, they're kind of like, okay, I'm making good money. You know, I'm still seeing my friends. Um, but I'm just curious. Cause like I saw my brother go through it, right. He's four years older mm -hmm. than me. He went through that cycle and eventually he's like, God, I just don't, this isn't it. And then they move yep. on. Like, would you, what, what do you believe? Like people have to go like on their own journey of that. Or like, what would you tell yourself like now knowing what, you know, like if you were just starting that journey and you could give mm -hmm. yourself a little lesson or a little one liner, what would you tell yourself yeah. now, right when you were starting that, that journey? Yeah. I, looking back, what I realized is, is that we get into this habit between 24 and 35 where we believe we have to live a press release. I call it, mm. and I remember writing, and people say, who'd you write the book for? And I said, I wrote it for this character in my head called Press Release Pete, which was a version of myself, <laughs> where when you talk to them, everything sounds great. Life's awesome all the time. They sound terrific because they're supposed to, right? Because they've, that's the thing I've been told is that, wait a minute, if, it, if I'm not feeling okay about my life, it must be my fault because everyone else is doing this. Everyone else is following this map. Everyone else is going this direction. How do you get honest with yourself? Because the seasons of life where people have this moment, mine was the off ramp for everyone else. It's not about the situation. It's about the moment you realize you're being honest, mm. where you admit the fact that you want something, but most people are lying to themselves about what they want because they've been told what they want. They've been told what they should want, what's mm. good for them and not. And so how do you show up in a way that goes, I, I have all these needs and wants, some are healthy, some are not, but I'm not going to stifle them. I'm going to ask questions about them. I'm going to do the work to find the truth when I'm 24 to go, wait a minute. I actually have, my opinion does matter in this. I don't just have to stick on a path because mm. I meet people in their thirties who are on the verge of like locking into a career they know is going to be there for multiple years, or they're about to go to the next level with their relationships, either marriage or moving in together or having kids or other things. And they're like, what if I'm getting locked into something I can't get out of, but they sound mm -hmm. great, but they're mm -hmm. secretly afraid. It's about them finding this moment where you can have honesty without your life having to be broken down. It's like so mm -hmm. much of us have to like, we get to that situation where, man, we have to break. Some of us do. That's what it takes for you to have that moment of honesty with yourself. But for a lot of people, if you can find people that will foster and allow you to tell the truth to yourself and them, you're more likely to find that moment without as much pain. Hmm. That's really interesting. I've never heard that before. So that's, this is awesome insight. And just the idea of, yeah, like, oh, I have this, this, and this. I should be good. Like, this is what I was told that I should have. And so I'm just going to, I'm going to keep riding with it because it should be good. Like kind of mentality. And I love what you said, like, you just got to find that honesty. That's like yeah. the first part. 
because you can't deal in reality with people making plans and dreaming for their life, right? As we talk about, the hard part is, is that they don't deal in reality. That's a lot like trying to map to get from Minneapolis to Denver without knowing where the starting point is because you mm. don't realize you're in Washington, D.C. Right. And so people are going, well, I'm dreaming of these far locations. I'm dreaming of where, where I want to go. If, but you've got to start with where are you right now? What's the baseline? Which means you have to be able to test your reality and be honest about it. Rigorous honesty. Mm. Gallup in one of their books called Wellbeing talks about career, finance, relationship, health, and community. And they asked people the question. They're like, assess yourself. If a ladder has 10 rungs and 10 is absolutely bliss, that is thriving on every level. And rung one is suffering, right? So somewhere in the middle, you're surviving. Thriving, suffering, thriving, surviving. Where are you on that rung? Like getting to that honest place and saying, when it comes to my career, when it comes to my finances, when it comes to my health, when it comes to my community, when it comes to my money, where are you? Now, most people will put them in a spot where it feels better than half, but not so bad that they can't stretch, so they lie a little bit. Mm, yeah, six, seven. Six is always, <laughs> the average is always 7.3. Okay. Right? It's in a crowd. All right. But it's the reality of going in and saying, okay, but here's the thing. Why didn't you say higher? Like, why didn't you say higher? What would have to change in your life for you to have said 10? Hmm. Like, be real about that. Because then you're like, okay, wait a minute. Let me look at this. What is the real issues? Why? And we break these out. What I really love to do with clients is then say, okay, so it would be a 10 career and purpose-wise if this had happened. If your podcast had 5 million subscribers, you were funded like this and this and this and this. I said, I want you to imagine that you wake up tomorrow morning, Friday, and that is true. Now what's a 10? Hmm. Now what's a 10? Because if all that's true, like, so you keep finding a new level of capacity of like, how do you dream beyond that? But none of that works if you don't start with honesty about where you are. And mm. most people have to wait for catastrophe to find honesty instead of going, it's okay, no shame. Where am I? And how do I start from here? Hmm. Interesting. So it gives you that almost stepping stone a bit, right? And then it's because that's what we want. We want to feel like we're chasing something. We're going towards a goal, a meaningful like purpose, reason for being. And so really honestly saying, I'm here, this is what 10 looks like. Here's how I can get there. And once I get there, we're going to just set a new, whatever that new bar is, you just kind of keep going. I love that model, man. That's super powerful. Yeah. Because we, we, the question ends up always being, what do you, you know, what's beyond high performance? One of my coaches loves to ask me all the time, Mike, what's beyond high performance? What's beyond high performance? And I'm always like, and I remember in the early days and he'd ask me this, the answer of, because once you're, a B, once you're above high performance, what are you going to do? Be high, high performing? No, it's the shift of the question that Ray Dalio kind of talks about with deliberately mm -hmm. developmental organizations, things like that, where you're saying, well, beyond high performance is the question, what are we capable of? What are we mm -hmm. capable of? Because you can spend the rest of your life chasing the what are we capable of. Mm -hmm. If you read books like Tribe um, and Everyone Culture and Dalio's Principles and Spots, you'll find that this is where the next level is. People mm -hmm. have been chasing high performance forever when the reality is the new question is, what am I capable of? Because you mm. can literally spend the rest of your life and never quite fit that answer and it's be the ride of your life if you shift your mindset now. Mm. Man, that is so powerful. It reminds me of this quote that I love, which is that dream, <coughs> dreams are never fulfilled. They're only transcended. Mm -hmm. Meaning you never 
hit a point and you're like, I'm a high performer. That's it. I'm good. I did it. It's yeah. like, it's this ever evolving thing of the, what am I capable of? And that's, dude, it's when you say it, it's so powerful. Like I can feel the, you feel that energy uh, just come over yourself. So I'm. Um, the action beyond the dreaming though is what's key though, because like, I know you love the alchemist, right? Oh yeah. All you guys like the alchemist. So in my book, <laughs> in my, in, so I, I, in my book, Extraordinary, I talk about the fact that we don't need maps. We need a compass. And mm. so you need to have things that the world has run off the map. So mm -hmm. how do you have a compass that takes you out of the ordinary? And so I talk about identity, permission, courage, and generosity. And identity being what we think it is, how we understand ourselves. Permission is about crafting a vision and giving yourself permission to dream of more. Courage is about the common courage, everyday actions that you then start to move towards this vision. Generosity is having a vision bigger than yourself because you've allowed people into your life. But mm -hmm. in my section on courage, I do an entire chapter on the alchemist. And if anybody who follows your podcast, they know you're a fan. Yeah. <laughs> There's an element in the, in the alchemist. And I love the alchemist. But the thing that hooks me, though, is if you've ever read the book, is that you know, after losing his money, he ends up with a job in a crystal shop. And he ends up, our hero spends a season basically polishing and changing the atmosphere of the shop. Mm. And he and the shop owner become fabulously wealthy in their own way and very happy. And there's a season where every single day, they sit and they talk about their dreams because he's going to go find his treasure one day mm. and the shop owner is going to go to Mecca. He's going to become a Hajj. He's going to make his pilgrimage and every day they dream of this. And obviously throughout the story I won't get into, things happen and suddenly he realizes that he's waited a long time and he's kind of been putting it off. And our hero says, you know what? Now's the time I'm going to go. And he goes to the shopkeeper and he says, my friend, I've gathered my stuff. This is the day. I'm going after my dream, my treasure, and you have enough. You can close the shop, take holiday, and go on pilgrimage. And he says to him, my friend, I will never go on pilgrimage. He says, why not? Why not? Of course you can go. He's like, what happens if I go there and it doesn't exceed my dreams? What will I dream of then? And you've had this moment where you have two people, one who is more hooked into the dreaming of the reality and one who says, I haven't yet given up on seeing the reality become real. And so it's easy to go, yeah, I had this dream and dream of what's capable. But at what point is it about action? Because if my two beats for people today are follow the relationship, my second beat is being known for what you do and not how you talk about yourself. Mm. Is that if I only knew you as what you were, what you did, what you chose to be. Would you be somebody who got out of bed and made his bed today? Would you be somebody who paid his bills? Would you be somebody who responds to his friends? Would you be somebody who started a podcast? Would you be, if today I only know you, not about how you think about yourself or how you talk about yourself, but by what you did, what would you be known for today? Mm. And how do we make those actions align with going, was today actions of trying to discover what was I capable of today? Because I think as we follow the relationship, it gives us direction and opens doors we didn't expect, but then I have to show up in that relationship actively. And I think mm. that's a big piece because then you start to go, I can start a football team because someone asked me if I could start a football team that's a pro team in Nigeria. And hey, we should start farmers to teach farmers how to have small businesses. And I'm like, sure, let's do that. And we should start, and just one thing led to another. And I'm going, I don't know, but let's try the action and see if it works. Yeah, yeah. Man, that's all, that's all so golden. It reminds me of this thing I saw the other day and I was talking to a buddy about it, this idea of direction versus speed. And 
we, we had talked about this and I'm curious your take on this because like inherently it's like, well, yeah, you want to be going in the right direction, right? The compass is important. But we also both talked about how we didn't really know where we wanted to go until we started yeah. speeding up and just started moving. <clears throat> and, but the key was, is along that journey, there was constant points of reflection. And so it was constant, you know, trying to get a little bit closer and setting that compass. But how do you talk about that direction versus speed dichotomy? Yeah. I actually kind of frame it out with direction versus destination. Okay. Because what ends up happening a lot of times is this idea of, well, I got to know exactly where I'm going. So I've got to have a very specific thing. If you're standing in Banff or in Northern Alaska in the middle of nowhere out by Denali and you're freezing to death and you're going, I don't know, where am I going to go? I've got to go someplace warm. I know I need to be warm and it's in the middle of winter. Hmm. Does it really matter if it's San Paulo or if it's Miami? Right? Like, but people will, but think of it, people will stand there and freeze to death, arguing about which specific destination south. Hmm. When the reality is, start going south. And as you get closer, you'll decide if you want to end up in Miami, or if you want to end up in Mexico, or if hmm. you want to end up in Aruba, or if you want to end hmm. up in Bahrain. Yeah. Like, and so this idea though, but we, we frame it out going, look, pick a target that moves you and stretches your question of what's capable without going at the same time, it might only be gravity that pulls me there. Hmm. It might only be the thing that kind of gives me direction. We've become so destination focused to our obsession that we're going, you know what? I can be directional. I can go, I know what I want clearly. I want to be warm. Let me go south. Hmm. I love that analogy. That's awesome. Um, I'm curious because, I mean, you mentioned that you work with obviously some high performers. I mean, I saw you the other day with like the US, USA, you know, sports teams. And I've seen you with. Yeah, I just hung up with USA. Tri so I'm officially on the USA podium project. So like USA triathlon has an eight year project where they pulled the best triathletes in the United States to get them up to a medal by the LA games in 28. They'll compete in the previous games, but we'd literally just, I was working with them and like today I was like, I'm a part of that team now helping them unpack how their natural talents of thought, feeling, and behavior impact the way they train, the way they relate, and the way they set vision. Hmm. And so starting from a strengths-based approach to how do I leverage my thoughts, feelings, and behaviors to get the most out of eight years of investing in biking, swimming, and running pretty much nonstop. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. That's awesome. And so my, my question was going to be, you know, you've worked with all these these yeah, high level people, whether it's athletes or, you know, it's like governments, corporations, sure. and uh, you know, these people are still struggling with stuff too. And I was just curious, well, one, it's kind of, you know, it's, it's nice to know as a human being that even the top of the top have mentors, coaches, they struggle, right? Sure. We're all in the same playing field, but two, yeah. you know, I'm just curious, what, what are you focusing on? Well, yeah, with these, with these big time people and what are those main struggles yeah. that even the, the top, you know, the top of the top are kind of seeing and facing. Yeah. Cause one of the things I, I remember when I first started getting invited to speak at these higher levels. And I remember going to the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation the first time. Hmm. This is back in 2008 or nine, I think. And at the time sitting there with one of the deputy directors, I mean, literally the, some of the top, high, top tiers and walking out and someone saying, well, what's it like? And I was like, it would be shocking to people to know the questions those people are asking are very similar to the questions the average 25 year old is asking. Hmm. They want to lead well. They want to know they're leaving a positive wake, both in the work accomplished and the lives changed. Like the struggles are very similar, not just at the Gates Foundation, but other places as well. Where we're having these conversations. I'm going, I've met 
the head of some of the largest corporations in the world. And I'm going, you sound just like that 26 year old kid I talked to at Bethel University last week. Yeah. Which, you know, which, because that's the biggest gap is the realization of they want to ultimately go, am I fulfilling my potential? Where am I getting in my own way? Hmm. Because that's when you can start to realize that the greatest barrier to your success is usually staring you back in the face. And it's usually based upon the stories that you tell yourself about what it is you believe or don't believe. I think it's Gary John Bishop. He's a great coach mm. and speaker out of um, Scotland. His, um, he's actually out of the States, but he's Scottish. But one of his things that, he, that I really love that it hooks into is the fact that we have, and I, I send my clients his book all the time. I'm like, start with his book. It's this framework of we develop over the course of our life conclusions that we then become obsessed with proving true. And so we have conclusions about ourselves conclusions about others and conclusions about life in general. And that we don't realize is, is that our brains, well, they hate unpredictability. And so they like mm. to predict the future. And so even as much as we're stretching to create dreams, we're also in some way sabotaging ourselves and holding ourselves back because we will always choose what is safe and known over what we really want. Mm. And so I find that it's true. When he talks about this, the reason why I share it with clients is the fact that it's not because people, people who need coaching, even in myself, for myself needing coaching, it isn't because I haven't dreamed. It isn't because the dream isn't even good. It's because the internal work I have to do is about not just what do I, ha what do I have to do, who do I have to become? Who do I have to believe I am? What confidence level do I need to have? And so people will get to what do I need to do? What are my doing actions to achieve my dream? I always say, remember, there will always be the two. What will you have to do, but who will you have to be in order to do that? Mm. Who will you have to be in order to, to run that hedge fund well? Who's the, what's the being component of you, which is humble and shame-free and open-handed and strong and clear and mm. vulnerable and aggressive and ambitious? And then mm. what do you have to do? We get obsessed with the do but the being is equally important. And I find the best of the best leaders are wrestling with the tension of both all the time. Hmm. Man, what a powerful lesson for any, I mean, anyone, but you know, the young entrepreneurs of the audience here thinking about, you know, all these little issues. And if you just focus on that idea of who do I have to be like, that seems like such a strong way to put yourself out into the world because yeah. like you said, it's rooted too. Like I love what you said earlier about, if, if, if you couldn't talk about yourself or you couldn't, if you were only boiled oh, down to literally what you did and the kind of person that you are being, what would you be like? And could you show up in that world? And, and I love that. I, I had a, a person too the other day kind of phrase it as if your dreams came true right now in the way that you envision them, could you even handle it? Are you the type of person who is, strong, good you, is yeah. strong enough? How good could you handle it? it? Yeah, right. And so, I, man, I love, I love all of that. I think it's so powerful and it's such an important message that I haven't really talked to anyone yet on this show. So I'm super grateful that you're bringing it up and talking about it. Um, I want to transition a bit into travel because sure. travel has been yeah. a huge part of my life. Um, I think we talked about how I spent <coughs> six months in Southeast Asia uh, yeah. last summer, spent about a month backpacking Europe, did part of the Camino. Uh, just, you know, it's a big part of me. I think it teaches me a lot about the world and step one, yeah. I'm just curious how you got so into it and what was kind of your introduction and your first big, uh, memories and learning moments when it came to travel. 
Yeah, I mean, it was, uh, I always thought I liked travel, but I really didn't do much before I kind of stepped into the company. And then I remember getting my first client in Europe that was in Portugal and being able to travel through there and just having, having a season of three or four years where I had clients scattered from England to Holland to Brussels, you know, all, all the way over into Hungary. And so that became the first taste of it, right? And I did some work travel for HP, but just quick and forth back to Singapore. And so I had the corporate experience. But um, in 2013, after what at that point would have been five or six years, I was grinding. I remember I was in the middle of nowhere, Colorado, one night outside of Pikes Peak, leading a summer treat for an executive team and realizing that I was burnt. I'm like, man, I need a break. Mm. And I thought, I'm never, I've never done like join a hiking tour thing. I should do something like that. And so I found this company. <laughs> I found this company, which I, always, which I love, and now it's been years, but at the time, a comp, an upstart company that was based out of a guy who used to work for Kiva, he was from Yale, um, called One Seed Expeditions. And so One Seed Expeditions, which keep, now is winning years, awards and awards and awards for sustainability travel, One Seed Expedition only hires local guides, they profit share, 10% of gross revenues goes microfinance back into the communities. I found these guys by accident one night and they were launching their inaugural season in South America. And I signed up for Patagonia experience. There was an like epic Patagonia. It was one of their first ones. Long story short, something happens because it's an initial season and everyone who's supposed to be in that group cancels. And so they call me and they're like, listen, you're going to be one person in a group of 10. Everyone else is canceled. Do you want to change the date? And I said, I can't. And they said, well, because it's the first season, we're going to run it anyway. So I got a one-on-one <laughs> personally guided tour through Torres del Paine, Patagonia, oh in Chile, with Roberto Carlos, who at the time barely spoke English and I barely spoke Spanish. And we spent 10 days together trekking <laughs> through the W in Patagonia. And I remember, and in my oh book, my I write God. about this too, this moment of realizing and remembering that I was strong and being like, there's something about the power of permission that only comes from mountaintops that it doesn't do anything for you other than strip away your excuses. And it was so empowering that I was like, you know, I got to bring other people. So the next year I brought a group and I brought another group. And then I went to Peru. Um, a group a year after that, we had a client almost die. He had a preexisting condition, almost mm -hmm. died in Patagonia. Roberto and I had to rescue him in the middle of the night. And it's a crazy story for a book that took a lot of trauma therapy. Um, no lie to trauma therapy to get over. But I asked Roberto after that incident, is there anywhere you've always dreamed of going? Because he's from Southern Chile. He's a professional guide. And mm. he said, well, I've always wanted to see Everest. And so I said, great. So I put him on a plane. And, this, and then the uh, October of 19, we flew to Everest and did base camp. And then I did the three passes trek around Everest National Park. And for me, it just kept driving those pieces. And mm. in the midst of that, I also started going, how do I, how do I build relationships wherever I go? I got mm. randomly invited to Afghanistan and I built relationships with people there. And that then led to travel across Afghanistan. It led to me doing government work at the ministry that led to Nigeria, Nigeria now, which led. And so it just became this piece where for me, I would travel for life. So to the point where I would, I travel internationally anywhere from six to nine times a year for extended mm. periods of time. And there's something about the reality of connecting your story to the story of others. And so um, I, had an, I had an incident um, during, I spent 40% of my time during 2018 living in Afghanistan. I would fly in for two weeks, fly back for six, fly in for two, fly back. And um, after some things that are really good for a mental health talk sometime, um, I was basically burnt and needed a break. And I took all of 2019 off 
except for the last four months. And in that time, I went to Nigeria. I took 10 days alone in Italy and I finished with 21 days in the Kumbu in Nepal, just trekking and hiking, wow. basically to reframe my world, to step back into finding ways to support people. And so travel for me is like therapy, it's transformational, but it's also, it gives me perspectives that I can't get in the United States. Yeah, yeah. When you were uh, kind of burnt out there at the end of 2018 and then going into your travels into 2019, I'm just curious, while during those eight months, you know, yeah. what were some of those big takeaways? And also just what, some big lessons that you've learned while traveling. Cause I know when I came back from Asia and I was in Thailand, Indonesia, Cambodia, Vietnam, yeah. Philippines, all those areas. One of my big takeaways was that everything that we hear from far away is usually like 5% true, if not 1% true. And yeah. so I'd be curious to hear some of your takeaways from your, your personal journey there. But you know, also yeah. even I think Afghanistan, the ancient place to talk about because that's a perfect example of like people don't know anything about it and probably make a bunch of conclusions about everything there. Um, yeah. People, I, would come back, I would come back and people would be like, do they hate us over there? And I'm like, no, like they, they don't hate anything. They don't. And so when it comes to even in Afghanistan, part of the reality of that's part of why I love the international perspective is I realized that, you know, part of the work that I do in coaching is helping my coach helps me. And I help my clients realize that my grip on truth is completely subjective. It's my truth. It's like truth is all, is all about how you react to it and filter what you assume it means. And so to discover, oh, wait, Afghans see the world different. They're very tribe-based, meaning relational and family. Mm -hmm. And family relationships matter and tea and quality time and honor. And so for them, they ask different questions than I asked. They, they want stability as much as we want stability. The young are passionate about doing big things as much as we are. So for me, the international travel question, it helps me reveal that I don't always know how the world sees me. And I make assumptions politically. And I make assumptions about mm -hmm. what is good and right going, is it helpful help though? Do they really want what, they, what we're offering? And so mm -hmm. for me, I now hold my assumptions about the world a lot, a lot more loose. Mm -hmm. um, but in the midst of that travel, and so just because I know people are talking a lot about mental health and the summer, summer months of mental health awareness. Mm -hmm. Basically, I, um, I'm re I realized walking out of that experience, especially the more intense your experiences are, and if you're an entrepreneur and you're buried and COVID may have even done this to you, um, one, I had to get the tools. So I went to therapy a lot. I even got EMDR, if you're familiar with EMDR, which is um, uh, eye rapid movement desensitization, which is a process by which you deal with post-traumatic stress. That's a EMDR is a brilliant thing if you can find a therapist who's trained in that. But ultimately what I realized is, is that my therapist gave me the most simple homework in my early weeks of processing what was in fact a traumatic event in Afghanistan. And he was like, here's a list of needs. Here's a list of feelings. Every week, three times, I want you to pick three things you're feeling and connect it to the needs. And I realized I couldn't. I was so locked up in my stress and my feelings that I didn't know what I was feeling and I couldn't tell you what the needs were. And so one of the key takeaways for me is that everything I'm thinking and feeling is tied to a need that needs to be met or a need that is trying to be met in a healthy or unhealthy way. But I'm more likely to be able to process the feelings and thoughts if I know what my needs are. And I find that most people will take actions and make plans mm -hmm. without actually knowing what am I needing. And so finding tools to manage your mental framework, to manage your mental health is based on, do you know what you need? Because if you can name it, you're more likely to be able to then address it. Mm. And 
if you're dealing with entrepreneurs and there's a lot of them out there, especially in your audience, because right. part of the dream is that one of the things entrepreneurs get is that the world is for an entrepreneur, their company is typically never healthier than they are. Hmm. Your company's health will not outgrow you because hmm. you're the kind of the anchor. You're the centerpiece. You're the bet. You're the person waking up every day, still believing your entrepreneurial idea is still a good idea. There is a direct correlation. This is back to the being and doing between how healthy are you and what are you doing with that health? Mm. And that ends up being, but that takes courage. And back to our very beginning of our conversation, can you admit that you don't always know what you need? So how do you do the work to lower your guard, be vulnerable, find somebody to help you and say, let me figure out what I need so I can meet that need and be healthy and then do. Mm. Yeah. That's so powerful, man. And so it's like, as you go along the journey, like you said, you hit these points where you realize, okay, it's okay for right now for me to ask for help. It's okay for me to get a coach, a therapist, to take some time to travel, to take a month and do something right. And to, to really make sure that you're at a spot where if you, if your goals are still going up, 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 that you're yeah. also the one who's setting that bar and not being dragged down and, and eventually kind of crumbling on the, on the inside. Right. Yeah. You should always be afraid if you're the top of your own emotional food chain. If there's nobody mm -hmm. above you, like there was a number of years where I realized I didn't have a coach. And I'm like, never hire a coach who doesn't have a coach. You should always, your coach, you should always have a coach because who's asking them the questions? Like who is telling them the truth? Who's holding the space for them to be honest? Because if they're not having that space held for them, it's all going back inside, which over time, not saying it will, not trying to be prophetic, but it can be problematic. So your coaches should have coaches. You should have a team. You should have people that, that are okay. They're the ones you tell your secrets to. They're the ones you can just strip and be. They're the ones you can fail and fall down. They're the ones you don't have to explain yourself to. That's the key element for entrepreneurs is that they think that it's an individual sport not realizing you better have a team. Whether you're paying them or not, you got to have your squad. Yeah. Yeah. I love that, man. It's, it's so powerful. And I think my generation is starting to realize that too you know, the whole dog versus or doggy dog world. And, you know, I think that one of the big things that Gen Z is this kind of me to we sort of movement of like, how do we come together a yeah. bit? But I think our egos get in the way. Like we definitely get lost in the ego trap of still like I do wanting it to be me and wanting it to be my, and, and, and so I got to remind myself to cool that, that ego and that desire to be individual because yeah. I know that what's better for me is the, togetherness is the tribe is the squad yeah. and so yeah. that's a reminder i always try to tell myself and it's it's hard it's difficult and it's hard because you're trying like what's our name attached to like i know people i know people that are constantly i know coaches they're constantly trying to rename their stuff even though they got it from another source like a brennan bouchard like instead of being like wow brennan gave me a great tool framework that i can use with clients to change their life they're like no i gotta go reinvent the wheel because it needs my name and right. it's like well, then you're trying to build a name or you're trying to change the world. Mm, yeah. Like, and you're saying one thing, but your choices are about limitation. Your choices are about exclusivity. Your choices are, if I only know you by your actions, how do I know you? Well, what kind of actions am I seeing out of you? What yeah. choices are you making? Yeah. Yeah. Man, just to touch on the, the strengths part of this real quick yeah. too, before we get into some closing questions. Um, what is it about... You know, we learn, we hear about it growing up, right? Know your strengths. And, and, but when you're younger, I feel like I wasn't too rooted in like why it was important and, and why this is such yeah. a big deal. Um, you know, why is it so important to know your strengths and, and how can that empower you to become that person you want to become? Well, what I love about the strengths approach is this reality of 
knowledge, skill, and experience are meant to shape your talent, not replace it. See, too many people think that going to school or getting a degree or getting the resume is going to be the value add, ignoring the fact that the research shows that the more you know your talent and ability, and then you shape it with knowledge, skill, and experience, that that creates emotional engagement, which produces high performance. But most people devalue because they don't truly know their strengths, and so they dismiss things. And in fact, they will take on other people's habits in an effort to scoop out things they actually think are not valuable or defective and pour other value in. You're, the degrees you get, the certificates you get, the exposure you get, the experience is meant to shape you. And in fact, if you start with talent, you will get more bang for your buck as you invest, is that you won't just not fail, you'll actually succeed. And those are very different approaches. But most of us are not taught that. In school growing up, we're given the deficit remediation model, they call it. Mm. Figure out the deficit, fix it. Your child is bad, get them five more, get their, your child is bad at math, get them five math tutors. And so we just pile on instead of going, what is my child good at? Well, why are they good at English or literature, but not math? What are the elements? Is it the conversation? Is it the writing? Is it the nonlinear thinking? Mm -hmm. What is it? Okay. How do I bring that to bear in math? Mm -hmm. How do I bring that to bear in a different class? And so we aren't taught that though, because we're trying to be fixed. Most of mm -hmm. us. Gallup says every year, 72% of people polled when asked the key to professional success, about 72% answer, identify your greatest area of weakness and fix it. But sometimes the opposite of bad is mm. simply the opposite of bad. Mm. The opposite of bad is not necessarily good. You've got to, so a strengths-based approach, which is what I start with, is you've got to catalog truly your best moments. Like even for you as a podcaster, what has to happen that you're like, man, the questions flow. I see the hooks, I know. And then everything within your control, you reproduce. When people are in relationships, I'm like, you're about to have a difficult conversation about something in your relationship. Before you do that, have you ever had a good conversation? Why did it work? What was going mm -hmm. on? Where were you? What were you doing? You had a moment with your boss. You want to ask for a raise, but you're worried. When have you ever asked for anything and it's gone well? What was happening? Who were you? What was the environment? What can you control? A strengths-based approach is not about positive psychology to be positive. Because being positive about what you're good at will never change what you suck at. Mm. Being a strengths-based approach is going, my greatest potential for tools to change the world lie in starting with my natural talent and then being shaped, not replaced by knowledge, skill, and experience. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome, man. Man, if, if I just learned that when I was in elementary school, middle school, it'd be, right? it'd be a whole new ball game, right? Oh, Stop man. fixing yourself. Stop yeah. fixing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, there's a reason why so many, you know, kids nowadays are like, so wh why does it, why does it go like this? Because people are kind of starting to realize like this, this doesn't seem right here that we're all just kind of yeah. forced to be good at the same things. And, and even though yeah. in reality, when we finish and graduate, it's just, it's just scatter. Um, yeah. so man, I love that. Thanks for breaking that down for me. Sure. Um, before I get into the closing question, I do, I want to touch back on your book uh, one more time because yeah. I knew there were those four categories. There was identity, identity mission, courage, courage, generosity. generosity. Yep. Can you just touch on why you chose those four topics and why those four really stood out to you? Yeah. As I was thinking about what are things that if I was constantly, because you think about a compass, a compass doesn't tell you where to go, but you ping it, meaning mm. you're constantly going, okay, wait, where's north? And mm. then... And so it gives you, again, back to my idea of direction, not destination, is that once you've left the map, like the world has since March 12th, 
we've left the map, the paths don't work. How do you know then what direction you're heading in? And if you know, wait a minute, who am I? Identity is on the inside. It's not based on someone else liking me. It's not based on affirmation, clicks, like, or Instagram followers. It's based on my natural talent, what I can do with that, and the things that I'm interested in sacrificing for. So I talk about identity triangle, talent, passion, and purpose, how those things come together. Then once you believe that you have value and you have a clarity of, and sense of yourself, what do you dream of doing with that? Because it takes practice to craft a vision and dream. And I realized that most people, I can convince them of their StrengthsFinder profile. I can show them the stats on how their natural ability, they even like their profile, but they want to do things with it. And I realized, I think it's Trevor Noah in his book, Born a Crime, he talks about people cannot dream of what they cannot imagine. Hmm. People cannot dream of what they cannot imagine. And I realized that permission is about giving yourself permission to imagine, to travel and be exposed to, to change how your imagination works so you can begin to dream. But even then it was like, but how do, if we're gonna to move towards something, what are the actions? And courage is because most often, again, back to John Gary, Gary John Bishop's thought on the things we try to hold back is that it takes courage to confront the fear of being different. Mm -hmm. And how do you take the most core common actions, which actually become a strategy to move you towards that thing you're dreaming of now that you've imagined a new one. Mm -hmm. And then for me, when it got to generosity, it's this weird idea that's not about money. It was, Someday, even if I have the greatest dream in the world for my company, for my influence, it won't be enough. My arms will get tired of holding that elephant, as the Heath brothers say in the book Switch, where you're trying mm. to force yourself to go a certain way. My arms will get tired. But the, the studies show that we find superhuman power when our lives are connected to other people mm. in a bigger way. So what if I let my story be impacted by the story of others? What if I generously saw other people and invited them into my story? Would that give me the gravity to keep going when COVID kicks in? Would that give me the gravity to keep going when my world falls apart and it keeps us on track? And so knowing that I couldn't navigate if I don't have people in my life, I can't navigate this unknown world if I don't take action. I can't step into where I am if I'm not dreaming beyond my current pain. I have to see something further. But all of that starts with, but who am I? What are my strengths? What are they good for? And what, do I, what am I passionate to the point of sacrificing my time, effort, and treasure, so to speak, to a goal? That's my identity. And mm -hmm. I thought, if you could he just keep these things, map them, and then just keep pinging them. Keep revising, just keep pinging them. They're not answers. You would always go, you know what? I'm out of people. I need to, I need to get more people in this. Man, my, my dream has gotten stale. Maybe I need to refresh that. Maybe my courage actions are being too complicated. I need to make them simpler. Or maybe I just need to rest in I'm enough today. And so yeah. you don't, it's not, they're not opposites. But it, when you're uncertain and it's uncertain times, if you can keep those four items together, you're more likely to go, I don't always know my destination, but I know I'm going in the right direction. Mm. Man, I love that. All that is so powerful. And, uh, and I'm going to make sure I link the book in the show notes in Please. case anybody wants to check it out because yeah. It's just, those are such powerful topics. And I know that lessons that even if you already kind of know them to refresh yourself on these ideas and these yeah. philosophies are just so powerful for no matter who you are. Um, yeah. Awesome, man. All right. Well, I want to, I want to jump into this kind of closing, closing thought here. Um, so the name of the podcast is Dreamology. And I, I, I added the ology on there because I like to think of myself and as people of students, we're students of life, right? We're, we're learning and dreamology is kind of my phrase for the study of the modern day American dream, right? The Gen Z American dream. Yep. What does that look like? And so I decided to, to take it to Google, our infinite source of wisdom, 
and Always. see what, how it defines the American dream. And so I'm going to read this to you and then I'm going to follow up with the, the kind of question. So Google defines the American dream as the belief that anyone, regardless of where they were born or what class they were born into, can attain their own version of success. And so my question for you, Michael, is what is your own version of success? Yeah, um, I asked a similar question by a personal golf coach the other day. Um, about four years ago, I was asked to oversee the burial of uh, a refugee in Nigeria who had died of tuberculosis and was being buried in a pauper's field. How I got asked to do this, I don't know. But this woman had been a refugee and she died and been abandoned. And her body had been in the morgue for a month. And they're like, we need somebody to go bury her. Mike, you're here. Could you help us? And so I went, and I had this crazy moment with, without a casket or anything, me and these four other guys and these kid, neighbor kids from the village are putting this woman who's in full rigor mortis into the ground in this incredibly hot day. And I'm standing there and we're asked to say some words. And I finally realized that we we're about to bury this woman and I didn't know her name. And I didn't know anything else about her. And all of a sudden I, I kept thinking to myself, how am I standing here over this person whose life is over where, and there was only one question in my head that I wanted to know about this woman. Where were her people? Someone gave birth to her. Someone loved her. Someone held her. She had been in relationships. I realized all these things I didn't care about. I didn't care about how much money she made. I didn't care about religion she was. I didn't care about where she'd grown up. I didn't care about what tribe she was. The only thing that mattered as I stood over this anonymous body being lowered into the dirt was, how can a person be leaving this world without her people? Where are her people? And I'll never forget the rest of my life going that when I leave, and it's the American dream of my own going, I want to go, man, are there people? Hmm. Will they go, man, Mike loved me well. He helped me believe and he helped me dream. And he started companies and he made mistakes and he was a screw up and he was all these other things. But man, were some of those people. And he was my person. I think that the American dream of the future that matters is one where people realize that at the end of the day, all you're gonna care about is where are your people? Mm. Because that's why originally people, my grandparents came from Sicily when I was a kid and they were like, we wanna better our people. Where are your people? That's the question. Mm. Man, I love it. Um, thank you for sharing that, man. Uh, I'm curious if you have any closing words. I know that, uh, COVID could be going on for a while sure. longer. Um, life still probably going to be pretty uncertain uh, for a lot yeah. of us. So I'm just curious if you have any kind of closing comments that you want to round up this conversation with uh, for the listeners out there. I, you know, not to be a broken record, but I think at the end of the day, this is a difficult time for a lot of people. It's a difficult time for a lot of us. Um, if you're a small business owner like me, my business model changed upside down. Um, there's all kinds of questions. And and my coach and I were talking in the midst of like the hundred days when we were the most locked down. And he said something that I'm saying constantly right now, which is like, things could happen. It could all, you know, the economy can crash even more, get more difficult, but no matter what, let's go down serving. Like we have time. We have a lot of time in the day, like follow the relationship and serve. I heard Jason Jagger, a guy who's a friend of mine who loves to say, those who serve today will lead tomorrow. Those who serve today will lead tomorrow. And I think that's that core element is that even during COVID, you have something. Choose to follow the relationship. Let us be known by our actions 
And remember, serve today. You'll get to lead tomorrow. All right, y'all. You heard the man. Serve today, lead tomorrow. So I want you to take out the notes on your phone, and I want you to write down what is one way you can start to serve more. Maybe it's in your work. Maybe it's in your personal life. Maybe it's in your relationships. What is one way you can start to serve the world more? Because that, that is something we can all do today. No matter what's going on in the world, no matter what's happening with COVID and everything, we can find ways to serve more each and every day. And like Michael said, those who serve today will lead tomorrow. And those who lead tomorrow will make their dreams a reality. And so with all that being said, again, Take out your notes, write down one way that you can serve more today and share it with me. Share it via, you know, phone number, email, Instagram, IG stories, whatever it is. Share with me. I want to see how you're going to step up and serve more in the world. I love seeing people's takeaways from these episodes. So now what you got to do is go out, make your dream life a reality, and I will see you next time.